You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, I am Matt Williamson. This is a Locked On NFL podcast. Welcome to all of you this Sunday evening, especially our new listeners. I urge you to check out the rest of the Locked On Network. And here is a great sample of what the other podcasts out there are doing. I look at it from a national perspective, but someone like Marcus Mosher from the Locked On Cowboys podcast gets to concentrate on just one team, and wow, I mean, Marcus, what happened here? I mean, just the beatdown. This was probably one of the most impressive wins in the Jason Garrett era. I mean, it's only, there's only been a few games where Garrett and his offense has scored 40 points. Uh, this was just a beatdown by Dallas. They could do whatever they want on offense. Uh, Jacksonville really had nothing going on offense for them. Uh, Dallas's pass rush was all over them. Uh, just a complete annihilation by the Cowboys here in Week 6. Yeah, really impressive. Eye-opening. I mean, to me, like when I previewed this game, I thought... Maybe first one to 20 wins. You know, getting up sure. early would be really, really important. You know, neither one of these teams is equipped to come from behind. And that certainly applied to the Jags, but it was much more than that. It was one of those games where you knew right away in the first quarter when the Cowboys were able to throw and run the ball right down Jacksonville's throat. Uh, Jacksonville just didn't have a counterpunch. They're, they're not built to play from behind. No. Dallas jumped out to a quick, I think it was 10 nothing lead. And from that point, the game was basically over. It's the one thing that's holding Jacksonville back from being a true contender. They just don't have an answer uh, when teams get up you know, two scores early in the game. They just don't have that firepower on offense to match up uh, with some of the better teams in the league. And it's, Cowboys certainly aren't a better team than Jacksonville. They just were today. Yeah, they absolutely were. And let's focus on the offense because to me that's most, you know, shocking from this game, especially considering the level of opponent. I know Dak hasn't played great, I mean, before today, but I felt like he was getting too much heat, and I really thought that the coaching wasn't helping him as much as some other quarterbacks, and they weren't using Zeke enough in the passing game, and Dak enough as a runner, and obviously the receiver play wasn't great. What was your thoughts on Prescott today and then leading up to today? Through the first five games, I didn't think Prescott played all that well. He right. was pressing. Uh, he was missing receivers. Uh, but today they got him in rhythm. And one of the things that they, they do from time to time, and I'm not sure why it disappears every once in a while, but they got him running. Uh, he's a much more comfortable quarterback when you get him in rhythm and you get him outside the pocket and you have him running read option. His confidence just grows. Right. Uh, we've only really seen him two games this week, running the uh, this year running the ball. Uh, and today you think he had 88 yards rushing or something like that. When he's a factor in the run game, the Cowboys are a really dangerous team. Uh, you know, they can run the ball with Zeke. They can run it with Prescott today. He was making plays down the field here. Here's the overall, the big thing for the Cowboys since 2013, when they really started to put together this offensive line, they've always kind of slept walk through the first month of the season. And usually By October, you know, second week of October, you'll start to see this offensive line uh, impose their will. Today was one of those games where they finally looked like an elite offensive line. They were moving Jacksonville off the ball. Those linebackers, Telvin Smith and Miles Jack, they weren't able to get 
uh, to Ezekiel Elliott because Connor Williams and Zach Martin were getting to the second level. This team goes through the Cowboys offensive line. And today you saw them play like the offensive line that we, we've kind of become accustomed to seeing in Dallas. Yeah, really well said. And I really do think there's three future Hall of Famers on that line. And one of them is even missing at this point. It looks like Williams is starting to round into shape. I mean, he's a smaller guy, lighter guy, but an athletic, good bender. Um, but that seems, I know you're not doing this, but that takes away with from slightly the perception of how good Zeke Elliott is. And I think if you, you know, excuse last year to some degree of, boy, he had all these off the field things going on. It wasn't like he was bad last year. He's put together already an amazing career. And where I'm going with this is, I think he's the most valuable non-quarterback in the league right now. And I think he's playing better than I've ever seen him play. Yeah, he he's definitely more confident than he was in his first two years. I, I, maybe he he's uh, first of all he's not playing healthy. He's got a pretty bad ankle sprain and a, a knee injury. But man, he is so important for this team because of his toughness, uh, his ability to pass protect, to catch balls out of the backfield. He does everything the Cowboys want him to do. He is the perfect running back for their system. Uh, I think Todd Gurley might be a little bit more talented. Obviously, Saquon Barkley has uh, maybe more athleticism. But in terms of toughness, in terms of being able to do everything you want for an offense, Elliott is the perfect fit for the Cowboys. He absolutely is. And um, let's switch to the other side of the ball. And I've been saying this for a while, and even in the offseason, that I thought this was going to be a really good D, like a top 10 type D. But it might be better than that. You know, Van Der Esch, to me, has been great. The secondary, led by Jones, has been great. The pass rush is really impressive and might be getting better. And, you know, through my whole life, it's, or, you know, for the last 10 years or whatever, I've said 8,000 million times, this is this is a a uh, different D when Sean Lee is out. Well, it doesn't seem to matter as much anymore. No, and that's the whole reason why they took Leighton Van Der Esch in the first yeah. round because they were so concerned with Sean Lee. When he's hurt, this defense falls to pieces. That's not the case anymore for a few different reasons. They have more depth at linebacker, but they're just better on all three uh, levels of the defense. They got David yeah. Irving back today. Uh, on his first snap, he got a quarterback hit. Uh, Jacksonville couldn't block him. Demarcus Lawrence is still one of the best pass rushers in the league. Randy Gregory had an impact on the edge. Uh, you mentioned Byron Jones is playing like one of the best corners in the league. They just have a lot more talent on this defense. They've got a, a rushing game and an offense that mirrors what the defense wants to do. They like to grind out the clock, uh, limit the opportunities the defense is on the field. There's still holes in certain spots. They got, you know, I, I don't love their safeties. Their defensive tackles can be iffy, but they've got a lot of talent. And if they play to their potential, it, it absolutely can be a top 10 defense this year. Well coached on that side of the ball, too, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Rod Marinelli and Chris Richard, two of the better defensive minds in the league. Uh, Marinelli, we know, is one of the best defensive line coaches. And you get them a lot of talent like Gregory and Lawrence and Irving and Charlton. Uh, you know, things are going to start to come together for this Dallas defense. Yeah, absolutely. Marcus, this is awesome. Is there any other nuggets you want to throw out there? And just as importantly, can you tell everyone where to find you on Twitter as well as the Locked on Cowboys podcast? Um, what, just, just give everyone that information. Then I want to tell everyone a little bit about my bookie, our buddies over there. 
Yeah, I'm at Marcus underscore Mosier. We do the Locked On Cowboys podcast with uh, my co-host, Landon McCool. We do it about four times a week, so make sure you guys check it out. Uh, just one thing for the Cowboys, they have a yeah. monster game next week against the Redskins. Uh, those two teams are at the top of the division. You know, if the Cowboys can win this game, all of a sudden go to four and three, their schedule gets really easy in December. I think they, they finish with the Giants, uh, Tampa Bay and the Colts. If they oh, can wow. make a nice little run here in October, November, Dallas may have a shot to make the playoffs. And if, if you would have told me that last week, I, I wouldn't have believed you. So just keep an eye on Dallas. Next week's a big game for them. Yeah, I, I did. I didn't realize how all those things you just laid out. And yeah, I, I think a postseason bid at birth isn't that crazy. Uh, Marcus, thank you so much. Um, I, everyone has to check out the Locked On Cowboys podcast. Follow him on Twitter as well. But now I just want to take a quick second to tell everyone about my bookie. I've been podcasting for a very long time. And some of you follow me way back to my ESPN days where I hosted the Football Today podcast for 10 years. And every step of the way, people have been asking me my opinions on, you know, who to bet on. And... I, on Fridays, I go to my bookie and I tell you my picks and we do pretty well, but it's just as important to know the betting site to use. And that's absolutely my bookie. You know, you win, they pay. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me and they have been fantastic to me. They have in-game live betting. You know, like if you were a Cowboys fan today and you watch that first couple series and go, whoa, this is our day. Put some big money on it then, you know, as after kickoff. They have great over-unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Thing is, my bookie's doing such good work right now, they're slammed with new betters. So not only do they still match your deposit dollar for dollar, but if you use our promo code LOCKEDON25, that's LOCKEDON25, all one word, they throw in 25 bucks for free if you make your deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern. So why wouldn't you do that? I mean, that's free money, folks. So... So as long as you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you get an extra 25 bucks. So just use our promo code LOCKEDON25. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, good conversation there, talking Cowboys. And now we're going to talk Raiders. And some of you might be shocked that I picked the Raiders this week. We got Q Myers from Locked On Raiders coming on. Because, Q, you're the first host of a that's joined me on a Sunday night from a losing squad. But <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this was a topical team to discuss at the moment. Yeah, they're topical. Yeah, that's <laughs> they're way topical, all right. They're I don't know if the topic is good, but they're topical. <laughs> all right, what happened today? And that's not even what I want to talk about all that much. I mean, and I'm not going to excuse it for super long road trip. You know, never bet. You know, don't know the situation. I mean, they got their butts handed to him today. Yeah. Oh no, it was. And and I tweeted out at halftime that it was the most embarrassing half of football I think I've ever seen in my life. And that was <laughs> I just, didn't see that. That's great. I mean, really. And that was just halftime. You know, and it was just like it, it really was terrible. And I don't want to hear the excuse about they had to travel either because the Seahawks traveled too. I don't want to hear all that. That's it. Just was an embarrassment, man. Start to finish. I mean, the very first drive of the game summed up the whole game to me. The Seahawks went seven something minutes scored a touchdown, and the Raiders went on a three-and-out immediately following. Yeah. A three-and-out. Wow. And they did three rush plays, and on third and six, they tried to go on a stretch to Marshawn Lynch. Three straight plays. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it was a debacle from the very beginning. It, it really was, and which brings me to a larger topic. I mean, first of all, 
when I looked at this team, and I wasn't alone, but in the offseason, they're signing all these old dudes, you know, Martin, Nelson, all these guys. And I'm like, man, Gruden thinks this team is closer than I do. And I don't see the value in many of these signings. Then, you know, he gets his hands on the team a little more through the preseason, trades Mac for picks, which is a whole different discussion. And I understand it. If you're not going to pay him, you got a lot of value. Okay, fine. But it's pretty clear it's rebuild time, you know. And now you have all these old dudes from free agency. I mean, like, what's the plan here? That, that's a really good question, and it's funny because I've been kind of calling it a, instead of a rebuild, like a remodel, but after what I saw last week against the Chargers and what I've seen this week against the Seahawks, it's absolutely just a rebuild. I mean, it's a flat-out maybe just go and, and just drop a bomb on the building and, and blow it all up and then start over. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, it's really right. bad. It's really bad. I do know that they have, like, 26 expiring contracts next season, mm-hmm. so a lot of those guys won't be there. Um, you know, there's there's some young pieces that that Gruden is saying that he's trying to see if they work, see if they fit. Gary on Conley is not getting any d- defensive snaps right now because, well, he's going to try out some other guys. And, you know, what I mean, it's just it's kind of like they're throwing some stuff against the wall and seeing if anything sticks. And if it does, well, let's roll with that for a little while. I mean, it's it's an absolute rebuild. Bottom line. I mean, that's just that's the simplest, easiest answer is that it's an absolute rebuild. But it's also. John Gruden wants to make sure that if this team is either super successful or a super failure, regardless, it's going to have 100% his handprints on it. He's not going to allow this to be one of those, yeah, he won with Tony Dungy's team, or yeah, he won with Jack mm-hmm. Del Rio's team. or You know what I mean? Like He's right, not right. going to do that. He he's is going, yeah. Yes, it's going to be his team. Either it's going to fail or it's going to win, but it's going to be all him. Well, I think we know what's going to happen for the short term. Yeah, this year's a wash. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, this, this year, the thing that shocks me most is, like, anyone I thought, you know, that is somewhat of an analyst could look at their defense and be like, they don't have much talent. They just traded back. I mean, this is going to be one of the worst defenses in the league. They're lacking team speed. They're lacking playmakers. But I thought Gruden would have the offense, I don't know about humming, but above average by now. You know, a lot invested in the line, and I know the tackle situation's a mess right now. The receivers didn't look too bad. You know, Carr, Lynch was still running really hard. I thought Gruden would scheme some things up and be a good play caller. But the way the offense has crumbled, that one to me is the thing that worries me the most. Yeah, it is worrisome because earlier in the season, it looked like at least between the 20s, which obviously doesn't matter, but between the 20s, they were doing really well. They were moving the ball fine. They just got to the red zone and really struggled. And I think one that has to do with uh, a lack of John Gruden being uh, in that rhythm. You know, he's not he hasn't reestablished that rhythm yet from being in the booth for nine years. You know, I think he's still trying to trying to figure that out and see what works. And again, he's trying to use so many different parts. And sometimes I think that he's even trying to outthink it and overthink it. And, and sometimes you don't have to do that. Sometimes football can really be simple. You know, you, you can always go back to basic math like one plus one will always equal two I mean it never it never doesn't equal two you know what I mean and so I just feel like at certain times he overthinks it he tries to get too cute with things and you know he's really complicated that was something that was noted about him when they when he came back was like some of his you know his cadences are 14 15 words long and that was something that was even brought up in the broadcast today during the game like yeah one of their plays is about 14 words long and you have a bunch of young guys and veterans that aren't haven't been on this team before trying to trying to pick these up and figure out what everything is and so I just think that sometimes things are a little bit too complex 
and, and maybe he just needs to simplify some things. That's probably not a bad idea, especially when you look at the, the interior of that O-line and the ball Man. carrier. You know, keep it simple with Lynch and go from there, shorten the games, you know. But, again, nothing is working. Um, I, I wanted to bring you on, too, because a little bit for selfish reasons, because today I wrote an article about teams that should be calling the Raiders about Amari Cooper. Right. And it's a pretty good, pretty decent list. I mean, he's got another year under contract. He's not cheap next year, but there's a lot of teams that have a lot of money. There's a lot of teams that could use a wide out. Is it the right move to trade him? And I guess the better question is, what would you need to trade him? And give me your Amari Cooper thumbnail scouting report right now. Well, I mean, Amari Cooper, and for any Raider fan that is listening, is probably going to say that, well, he's up and down, and he's never consistent, and mm-hmm. and you got to move on from him, and, and it's okay to move on from him. But I'm in the belief, man, I'm going to be straight up with you, that that you trade Amari Cooper, you're taking another step backwards. Yes. You know what I mean? I just And I don't care how many draft picks you continue to pile up, pile up, pile up. And this was my issue that I had with the whole Khalil Mack trade, even though I get it. Uh, like you mentioned earlier, if you're not going to pay him that kind of money, you've got to trade him and get something back. You did. But let's go back to your history of drafting. Have you been that good? <laughs> right, I mean, right. You know what I mean? Like, have you? So I, I, I kept saying it's one of those things. Uh, I, I'm trading. I'm trading. Like, I'm trading something that's that's already there and and established for an extra at bat, which doesn't guarantee I'm going to get a home run. It just guarantees I'm going to come up to bat again. You and know you what I mean? You might not like, be that great a hitter. Yeah, exactly. I just I just don't know. I, I don't like that, and I don't like moving on from Cooper because when Derek Carr came in the league, everyone said he'll be good if you put some weapons around him. Well, Cooper's the best weapon he's had around him as far as consistent wide receiver, and I know he's had a problem with drops in the past. I know he's had problems with being injured late in the season. I know this season's been hot, or hit or miss, but the whole damn team has been hit or miss. You know what I mean? So right. it's not like Singling you can just out. point, the, no right, you can't point right. the finger at Coop and say, this is all your fault. I mean, this dude's out there trying to do what he can do. He has had times where he's been open, and Derek Carr just hasn't pulled the trigger and thrown it to him. So it's not like he's not out there putting in work. But, I mean, who are you going to have? Before you had Amari Cooper, you had Andre Holmes, was like one of your favorite wide receivers, him and Rod Streeter. And those guys aren't legit <laughs> no, NFL no. wide receivers, you know what I mean? But that's who they had, and that's who like Raider Nation was rooting for. Oh, my goodness, Andre Holmes is so great. No, he's not. You just don't have anything. You know what I mean? You just don't have any pieces. So, yeah, I, I, th- I, would, I would really be upset if they traded Amari Cooper, but I was really upset that they traded Khalil Mack as well. So, uh, obviously, John Gruden's not doing what I think he should be doing, and, and they're not doing uh, what they what I thought they should be doing in the front office. But, I mean, it's, it is it is what it is. Hopefully, Coop doesn't go anywhere, but I wouldn't be surprised now that the report is out and now that, you know, there's probably going to be some interest. Because, like you said, there's teams that could use him. Oh, there are yeah. some teams that could use him quick, fast, and in a hurry. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from him. But I, I, I'm 100% against it. Yeah, I, I mean, I... My first host, the, the Cowboys, I mean, they were the first team that came to mind, but I, I listed about 10 of them. Um, and one thing I mentioned in my article for Clayton Football was, you know what, his tape, if you just watch the All-22, isn't as bad as his numbers, isn't right. as bad as his inconsistencies. You mentioned it. I mean, he, he gets open. He's talented. He's a good football player. Yeah. No, he really is. He absolutely is a good football player, and I don't know why – uh, he's not getting more attention in games that that they go away from or they don't go to him at all. You know, he's had a couple games that were standout games, big time games, and then there was just some other ones. I mean, the Charger game uh, went to him very early, got him a ten yard completion, and then never hit him again, never looked at him again. You know, I think Carr threw it one time and it was out of bounds. And I mean, that's just you can't do that if you have a guy that's a that's you're considering you're you're a number one receiver. And when Gruden took the job, he said he was going to build that offense around Amari Cooper, 
Well, he's not doing a very good job of building it around Amari Cooper. And uh, again, I kind of came to this conclusion on the podcast last week that, look, this is just a mulligan year. This is one of those years that the, mm-hmm. the ones that are going to suffer the most from this year are the fans. Because, you know, the fans are the ones that sit there and watch the game and get all hyped up for every Sunday just to be disappointed. That's what this year is. It's basically this year is a wash. And, uh, you know, these guys are trying to figure out what fits and what doesn't fit. And I guess if, if Gruden thinks that he can get a couple draft picks and, and he sees a couple guys that he thinks, uh, you know, would be great Raiders. Maybe he's going to go and make that move. But I just think it would be a mistake, man. Cooper's a guy. He's still a young, a young cat, man. He can, he could really be a, a good wide receiver in this team for a long time. I mean, Tim Brown called him the next Tim Brown when he got drafted. Yeah. You know, so, he's only twenty four years old. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's you? not. It's not like he's twenty nine like the rest of these guys. Like, I mean, what's Jordy Nelson like? Thirty. Right. I mean, exactly. You know? Exactly. So. I don't know. I, I mean, I've heard Carl Joseph's name. You mentioned Conley's getting benched already. I mean, I would throw a pick at the Raiders for last year's first-round corner. You know I mean? Like, there's some high-pedigree dudes that are supposedly on the block. Could Derek Carr be one of them? I mean, is how how much do you have to squint for me to write a story of Gruden decides Carr's the problem and ships him out? I, you know, it's funny. I've had a lot of people call me and, and chime in on, on the Locked On Raiders podcast and say that it's time to move on. A lot of fans are like, it's time to move on. He's not going to get it done. We know who he is. He's just not that guy. He'll put up a lot of yards. He'll get, you know, a bunch of touchdowns. But he's just not the guy to take you to the promised land. So there's a lot of fans that are ready to move on from him. I think that that's foolish. I, I mean, I, I went through the list of quarterbacks ever since Rich Gannon to where they're at right now with Derek Carr, and that list is ugly. Let me tell you, right, that right. list is you know, so I, mean, I think that, that would Russell, be, and, you know, right, right. right. And, and that's man, that's not even the worst. I mean, you know, there's there's worse than that. I mean, like Andrew Walters and Marcus <laughs> Tuiasosopos yeah. and you know, what I mean, and right. clowns like that. So I've I've I just don't see it, especially when De- uh, when John Gruden talked about how how high he was on on uh, Derek Carr and, and how he came back to coach him. And he really wanted to coach him and he loved him at his little John Gruden quarterback camp and all that stuff. So I couldn't see them. I think he's really put all his eggs in Derek Carr's basket. I, I really do. I, I think that er- everything he does is going to build around Derek Carr. I don't disagree with you at all. However, and this seems like light years ago, and you said it's a complex offense. The guys he's had the most success with are, Brad Johnson, Rich Gannon, yep. you know, old retread guys. Sure. Like, give him Josh McCown. You know what I mean? Like, right. I mean, I could see him saying, I don't want to coach the young guy. I want the old dude that knows what he's doing, and I'll coach him to be great in kind of an egotistical way. Yeah, and and I wouldn't that wouldn't be wrong. That wouldn't be wrong, not as, as far as my mind, but it wouldn't be wrong as saying that that's what John Gruden's thinking because that's probably that could be what he's thinking. You know, I it would blow my mind. I would be absolutely stunned sure. if he did that. But I was absolutely stunned that he traded Khalil Mack. I mean, you know, it's just, <laughs> right. You know, and so it's it's I really mean, they handed really him the complex. key to the car. I mean, they, the keys to the car are all his. Reggie McKenzie has no power at all. No, no, no. I, I would be surprised if Reggie McKenzie's there in 2019. I think this, this, yeah. this is last year. Yeah, I agree. Q, you are the man. We should have talked earlier. This is a blast. I could have went on and on. You have a fun team to talk about. I don't mean to poke fun at Raider Nation at all here, but, man, it is topical. Let's just put it that way. Where can everyone yeah. find you? Oh, yeah, go. What, what else you got? Oh, yeah, no, I just, I just wanted to throw in one more thing about the trades. Khalil Mack was a guy represented by Joel Siegel. Mm-hmm. Carl Joseph is a guy represented by Joel Siegel. Amari Cooper is a guy represented by Joel Siegel. I'm just going to leave it at here. that. Yeah, seeing a trend here. Yep. <laughs> 
Q, you're the man. Uh, where can they find you on Twitter? And of course, everyone needs to check out Locked On Raiders. It's going to be an interesting week for you, I'm sure, on the on the podcast. Oh yeah, it's going to be a fun one. You can always check me out on Twitter at your boy Q two five four. That's at your boy Q two five four. And then the Locked On Raiders podcast. Uh, dropping them every day. You know how we do it on the Locked On Network. It's a lot of fun. And like I said, it, it should be an interesting week and probably two weeks because they don't have another game. They have a bye week this week. So, Ooh. yeah, it should, be, it should be an interesting couple of weeks until the next game. All right, last question. Just a yes-no question. Between now and the time the Raiders play again, will they make a trade of note? Yes. Okay, I agree with you. Q, thank <laughs> you. Talk to you later. Thank you, buddy. my man. Appreciate you. <laughs> All right, we are back. And to keep the iconic teams of the 70s theme going here, we started with Cowboys and Raiders. We are going to talk to Travis Wingfield of Locked on Dolphins. So we all kind of knew that, yeah, you, you turn the ball over twice in the red zone with Brock Osweiler as your quarterback against a great Bears defense and put up 31 to go, what, now 4-2, and two, the Dolphins? <laughs> this, I didn't see this one coming. This league is very, very easy to predict, isn't it, Matt? Oh, absolutely. That's right. So, <laughs> yep. No doubt it's about crazy. it. It's crazy. It's totally crazy. I think the big reason why we saw the results we saw late in that second half, and it went for the Dolphins as well on their defensive side of the football because they were playing very well in that first half. But that Miami Heat is no joke, and there's a reason this team is question. so yep. they're, they're so good at home, and that's for that reason and that reason alone. Even last year, that December game over the Patriots at nighttime, you saw the New England Patriots with hands on hips, hands on their knees. They just couldn't keep up, and this team is conditioned to play in that weather because they practice in it every single day, and the opposition is just not. Yeah, I mean, even Frank Gore, I mean, that's his hometown churning along still, and it doesn't bother him at all. And, I mean, at times the Bears look, you know, Tariq Cohen looked like he was running free left and right. But, you know, as the game went on, you know, one team I felt handled the elements a little better, a lot better than the other. And it's not to mention an overtime game and all those extra snaps. Pretty crazy. I mean, you really think that was a massive factor in this one? I do. It, it had to be just because yeah. there were so many broken tackles in the secondary, whether it was Albert Wilson or Jakeem Grant, or whoever it was getting free on them. I mean, they had, the Dolphins had 274 yards after the catch, and the Bears are a much better tackling team, a much better just defense in general than that output alone. So I think it had a big part to do with it. But the big surprise, Matt, I'm sure you're going to get to this, is the offensive line and how they handled that Bears front seven. Yeah, that's it's interesting because I really thought – one of the biggest mismatches around the league was, yeah. you know, and this is when I thought Tannehill was going to play, was, man, they're not going to be able to block Hicks and Mack and the rest of them, but especially those two. And they absolutely did. And I wonder if, Pat, you know, I have, I have to study it more, but, you know, is pad level an issue late in the game, you know, again with the heat factor. And, and it feels like I'm not giving the Dolphins enough credit for playing good football and just saying they could handle the heat better, but... Man, they, they controlled the trenches pretty well. It's it's pretty crazy to see, like you mentioned, the biggest matchup or biggest mismatch of the week, easy for me to say, I think was that exact <laughs> matchup. And, and the two tackles, Laramie Tunzel and Jawan James, both played a hell of a game, especially Laramie Tunzel over at left tackle. He completely blanked Leonard Floyd, and he got a few, uh, few cracks at – at Khalil Mack as well. And I think one thing that might have happened with Mack early in the game, I'm not sure if, if they talked about it in his press availability. He did come out of the game with, when he rolled an ankle early on. So that could have had something to do with it. But hey, we'll take it four and two, uh, top the AFC East as the Patriots are playing right now. So it's all good, in Miami. 
Yeah, and, and Tunsil, for those who weren't paying attention last week against the Bengals, when he went out with the concussion, that's when the wheels came off. Like, is he really turning into a key player? I mean, I thought he might have been the best player in that draft class when he came out. Yeah, he absolutely is. And I actually saw a, I mean, we know about it, but I saw the top five picks of that draft on the TV today. It's crazy how loaded that draft class was. He ends up falling to 13 because of the famed, you know, bong mask thing right. when he was in college. But yeah, he really has, Matt, because his first year he was a left guard and he played pretty well, which was surprising because a guy that had never played guard in college kicks inside and plays pretty well. Then year two goes back to left tackle. It's a bit of a regression from what he was in college and as a rookie. And now year three, he's been really, really excellent. And not just in pass protection where we knew he was great because of the feet and the athleticism, but in the running game too, he's getting a lot of pancakes, getting out in front and uh, getting out on the edge too and making some big blocks in the running game. So he's been terrific on both sides of the of the coin there. I assume you've been impressed with Gase's scheme overall. You know, a lot of after the catch. I mean, some people call it, you know, window dressing or, you know, boy, they're just scheming things up. I mean, I look at that as a compliment as opposed to a negative. I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed with Gase. Yeah, at home, it's just a different animal, Matt, like we yeah. talked about. It seems like they find a way to get guys in space and, and get the big chunk plays, like you mentioned, at home. You go back to 2016 when they had Ryan Tannehill healthy for the first time. They were, like, number two in the big the big play uh, rankings in the NFL behind the Buffalo Bills that year with like, the 10-yard run or the 20-yard pass or more. They were consistently big plays then, kind of went away last year with Jay Cutler, comes back this year in a big way. But as far as the scheme goes, I, I do wonder how much of this scheme – really credits quarterbacks that are mentally sharp because for Ryan Tannehill's for everything that he is athletically, he's lacking in that mental aspect of the game. And that's probably why he is who he is at this point in his career. And Brock Osweiler, I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, say he's the better quarterback. I don't think he is by any stretch, sure. but he definitely, he definitely was a step ahead of Tannehill in the mental aspect of the game, getting that ball out quick, finding that one open guy that they tend to scheme open on a particular route. And I just think that whatever, for whatever reason, he was better on third down and handling the blitz day than Tannehill has been. If you had to label somebody the number one receiver, who would it be? I, I still think it's Kenny Stills, even though okay. he's not really a volume guy. I mean, he's, sure. he's still kind of the deep shot, you know, four or five targets a game, but he still is kind of the most trusted guy on the team, I think. And another receiver, Devontae Parker. I mean, kind of out of sight, out of mind. It's been sort of disappointing. Could he be on the block? I think he is. I actually would be surprised if he's still on the team next week just really? because of all, all of the up and down stuff throughout the course of the season, whether yeah. it was the injuries or the healthy scratch. I, I just think he's really worn his welcome uh, thin here in Miami. So I would be surprised if he survives the deadline, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I had this conversation about Amari Cooper you know, a little earlier in the podcast, and I, I wrote an article for ClaytonFootball.com saying I had about 10 teams that would be interested in Amari Cooper – well, maybe nine of those that don't get Cooper would be have some yeah. interest in Parker. I mean, there's it, it's a, a good position to be shopping a guy right now. Yeah, and maybe the Dolphins can get something back in return for him. I actually yeah. saw that the the Raiders didn't play Gary on Conley at all in favor of Dominique Rogers Camardi and yeah. Leon Hall, like the two Strange, oldest quarterbacks right. in the league, isn't it? I mean, Carl well, Joseph I, yeah. too. It's weird. Yeah, uh, it really is. I, w I just wonder what John Gruden's doing down there. But nonetheless, uh, you know, if if they can maybe swing a player for player deal and get something like that going, I mean, try that. Why not? I mean, he's not. He just doesn't fit in this offense. I don't think at all. And they're they're trying to force a square peg into a round hole. They tried to deep ball to him up the sideline today, and there's just not really a lot of fight and effort there maybe a change of scenery is what he needs yeah yeah it could be um what's your overall take on the defense I mean one other first round pick I wanted to bring up and I know you and I have talked about him before but really impressed with Minka Fitzpatrick overall but the defense in general is better than I expected 
Yeah, I think all three levels have been really better than people expected they would be, especially on the defensive line up the middle with Vincent Taylor, the second-year defensive tackle out of Oklahoma State. He's been terrific, Matt. He's he's getting run stuffs. He's getting pressures. I think he had a second sack of the season today. He's blocking field goals, doing a lot of stuff up front for them. Kiko Alonso's having a really, really good year. Jerome Baker, the rookie linebacker, he's a good specialty blitz type of guy on certain packages. But then the secondary, like you mentioned, Mika Fitzpatrick, Xavier Howard's just playing out of his mind this sure. year, and then Rashad Jones, to just continue, continues to have a, a great career. So there's pieces all over the defense. They, I mean, they have their moments where they get breakdowns and coverage, and the third long defense is still a bit of an issue. But for the most part, I think this defense has a lot of upside. Yeah, I do too, and it's rounded in shape. And um, like you said, they, they have some guys. You know, Jones has been really good for a while. You add Minka, Howard's getting better. The defensive line's better than I thought. There's certainly talent on the edge. You know, uh, McMillan and, and the young linebackers have some upside. So again, I think it's arrow pointing up with the defense. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe if the offense can continue to build on this, that would be a good chance for them to kind of meet the expectation that I had that would be like a fringe wildcard team this year because the schedule really, it's not that rough going down the the next several weeks. So maybe they can find a way to rally, hopefully get Tannehill back and, and keep things going. No doubt. Travis, this was a blast. All of you need to follow Travis Wingfield. Tell them where they can do that and what else you are up to. The Locked On Dolphins podcast every day, Monday through Friday, as Matt knows. And, of course, LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as on Twitter, at WingfieldNFL. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thanks so much. And that is going to be a wrap for today's show. Um, Tuesday, I will be chatting, of course, um, with Sage Rosenfels. We'll talk about some quarterbacks. If there's, You can drop me a note on Twitter if there's a specific guy you want me to ask Sage about. Uh, Wednesday, we got Mike Renner, as usual. Thursday, we got Mike Sando. And then I'll go be back on my bookie on Friday picking games for week seven. Hard to believe it's week seven already. But Travis, thanks so much. This was a blast. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Absolutely.